You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 175. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. Today, I am in Costa Rica on a meditation retreat with Eckhart Tolle. I have no idea what this experience is actually like because as I'm recording this, I'm recording it before I head out to Costa Rica so I can be fully present in the presence retreat. So I cannot wait to share whatever this experience that I'm going through as you're listening to this intro is like with you soon on The Lively Show. But until then, that is where I am for this current phase of life. This is a true dream come true. I have thought about what spiritual or influential teachers that have been out there in the world that are still alive today that I would love to learn from in a more intimate way than just reading their books, like for the case of Eckhart Tolle, The Power of Now and A New Earth. And after Stephen Covey and Wayne Dyer have passed away, it's made me realize that I really want to spend time with teachers that I deeply admire whenever possible in real life. So this is my first foray into doing something like that for myself. And I'm, like I said, so excited to share whatever lessons I'm learning with you here on the show soon as well. Now let's move on to today's episode. As you guys know, now I am no longer focused on whether it's a solo show or an interview. Every week, I am thinking about what I can share that is of most value for you. So in this week's episode, this is something I've never done before. I'm actually sharing a member story from Life With Intention Online, the class that I teach twice a year. We've just wrapped up our fall class. And in module four, we go through some homework from module three with different members of the class about different intentions that they have. And today's interview is actually one of those member stories with Charlotte, aka Charlie MacArthur, about her relationship intention. Why am I sharing this with you, even though I've never done this before? It's because not only is it helpful for, obviously, Life With Intention online members, but because our conversation also veers into the direction of flow in a new way that we haven't yet shared here on the show yet. I know I've talked a lot about flow in my life and what it looks like. We've had Cass McCory come on and share what her flow looks like as a mother with two little ones, a baby, a business, and many more things like cats and dogs and homes and all of those things. And I know how helpful Cass's interview was for so many people, yet there still is a difference between Cass and Charlotte, aka Charlie here. Charlotte has a full-time job in Australian politics and has a two-and-a-half-year-old. So while Cass was able to determine her hours because she worked for herself, that's not exactly the same situation that Charlie has or many of you guys listening to the show as well. So this member story is interesting because where we begin in the area of relationships ends up veering into flow and where we end up is in a totally different place. I'm not going to get too far into it. I just want to let this, you know, kind of flow for you here so you can hear what I'm talking about. But hopefully Charlotte, aka Charlie's story, will resonate with you and perhaps even inspire you to look a little more closely into your own life and to see where you may be holding yourself back from flow when it may not actually be necessary. Let's go to the show. Charlie, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Before we get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay, so I'm a Londoner, but I live in Melbourne. I moved here five years ago or so now. I have a very busy job in politics, which is a bit of a kind of weird West Wing style affair. And I've also got a little toddler who's two and a half. So who's kind of balancing my life between little boy and busy work is kind of my big thing at the moment. I love the West Wing. Okay, so if you were in the West Wing, what character would you be? I don't know. People always say that because I'm a staffer, so... People always want to be AJ, but, you know, I don't think you ever are. <laughs> or CJ, you mean, the speaker? CJ, sorry, CJ. Yeah, not AJ. Yeah, sorry. I haven't seen The West Wing in ages, but um, it's a lot more like In the Thick of It. I don't know if every all Americans have really heard of In the Thick of It. It's a bit more public servanty, dour, a bit more swearing, a bit less kind of solving the world's problems. But <laughs> <laughs> More swearing, less solving the world's problems. Good to know. <laughs> Okay, so what's your favorite thing about class so far? 
Oh, there's so many little things. I really enjoyed just the first week and just kind of untapping the idea of ego and intuition because it's something that you talk about on your podcast, but it's just so nice to kind of pull it apart and really look into it. And actually the thought of just sitting down, the kind of process of first time sitting down and writing to your intuition as well was a really nice uplifting thing that I kind of thought about doing and then never done until starting the course. So it was just a really, that was a really great kind of breakthrough for me, I think. Did you get any good juice from it? Yeah, yeah. I think um, like it's hard. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure everyone keeps saying it's hard to the first time you do it, you're not really sure what you're hearing for. The really good thing I think that I did when I kind of wrote a couple of times, it told me to follow my heart and to trust how I felt when I was with my little boy, which was kind of a, I don't know, just a nice little thing about when I was feeling a little bit unsure about where I should go. And it just was a good compass, I think, for me. So that was that was really nice, I think. Did your ego get scared by anything it heard? I don't know, being kind of working and being a mum, there's always this kind of constant, you know, you're not good enough at your job. And then if you're good enough at your job, then you're not good enough at being a mum. And so, yeah, it's really nice sometimes to just have that voice that says, you're all right, you're doing, you know, you're doing your best. That's fine. You're exactly where you're supposed to be. Just trust that, you know, you're okay. And I think there's something very nice about that because it's too easy just to listen to the chatty voice inside your head and all of the voices outside that say that, you know, you can't have a full-time job and be a mom or, you know, you can't balance being a mom and being a working hard as well. And so, yeah, it's just good to shut all that out and just listen to yourself and be like, well, no, I've made this decision. And, um, and for me, it's the right one. And so that's kind of soothing and reassuring, I think. Okay, so let's go into your relationship intention. That's what we're going to focus on today. And we're going to just walk through your homework and point out anything that could be maybe useful for you or maybe useful for those listening. So let's start with step one, the optimal vision. Do you want to share what your intention is in terms of, is this for every relationship you have or just one specific or a handful of relationships? So the relationship intention is for my family. And by my family, I really just mean myself, my partner, and my little boy. But I guess it probably extends to my wider family. But when I wrote it, I was really thinking more about my little family unit, if that makes sense. So my intention is to cherish my family and appreciate the adventures we share. Okay, so what are the values within that intention? So cherish, appreciate, adventures, and share are the values for me. I love it. It, it flows so well. It flows like a full sentence, not like a laundry list. So when I've done some in the past for my relationships, I've done four, like to accept, appreciate, love and support my partner, you know, and then you're in a fight and you're like, what is the fourth one? <laughs> you're like, you cannot remember it. So you're not acting on it because <laughs> you can't remember it. Yours are dispersed really well in a flowing way that's probably really easy to remember. Has it been easy so far to remember? It has. Yeah. And of all of the kind of intentions that I set, this was the one that just came out kind of without thinking straight away and just sits in my head really nicely. Kind of, I don't need to write it down almost just to know that it's there. It just kind of feels like it works, I think. So that's really good. Okay. So now in the optimal vision, we're going to walk through the remove and include and stuff, but we want to know what time frame are you focused on when you wrote the remove and include step two, what you wanted to do as a result of that? What time frame were you looking at? So I was really hoping to kind of for an immediate time frame, I guess. The kind of first step, I guess, around my, the thing that I wanted to do with this was about spending more time with my little boy. For me, that was really a kind of while I'm in my current job, which is very busy, I wanted to kind of focus on doing something that could maximize the time I spent with my little boy while being in this job. If the job changes, then things might change and then things will change. Okay, so this is for the amount of time, whatever it is, that you have this job. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. And now is that looking at like less than a year or more than a year, if you had to guess? I mean, I'm not trying to ask you to know, but I'm just asking for a general time frame because it's really helpful when we do the actual action steps of this to break it down to a small window being like a definable window. So not that the intention's definable, those are enduring for as long as you care about those values, but the action steps you take, when the more you kind of focus in on a specific amount of time, the more chewable and just digestible and doable and actionable it becomes. I guess we'll probably within the next year, but I guess in terms of kind of making a difference, probably before Christmas, because then you always have a big summer break. So um, in Australia, so for me, I'd, yeah, I'd like to kind of focus on getting from here until Christmas and then you have summer holidays and things like that. 
perfect. That's a wonderful, awesome time frame. Under 90 days is really cool because it keeps you very focused on the present. It keeps you very in the now because as circumstances shift, like you just said, there's going to be a big season shift. So what you would do with your family based on the time you have would shift as well once the circumstances change. So you're looking at given these current circumstances between now and Christmas, this is what we're going to focus on. Yeah. Okay. So what are the actions you said you wanted to take to live out those values on the do level? So I've got two, but I decided to focus more on the second one. So the first one was to save up and buy a bigger car so we can go camping over the summer with the dog because we can't fit the dog and the kid in the car. And then the one that I was kind of decided to focus on was to leave work earlier so I can play with Declan, who's my little boy, before dinner and bedtime. Oh, I love that one. That's a really, really good one. Okay, so we're going to focus on that one about leaving work earlier. So but what do you think the outcome on the have level will be by leaving work earlier to spend time with him? So I guess it's about having more adventures with him because we kind of like to play that everything is an adventure. And it's so hard when you get home from work and it's seven o'clock and then it's, you know, my partner's made dinner and then it's bedtime and you have no time to play. So it's really about having playtime and fun time with my little boy. The nights are getting longer as well. So it's kind of sunny outside, you know, until seven o'clock at night. So it's about being able to spend some time outside with him as well and not just being kind of focused on the rituals of bedtime and just to feel, I guess, just more calm and less rushed and just able to not be always doing that thing, which is so common in parenting where you're always looking to the next thing. You kind of have this shopping list of all the things you have to do with your kid to get them to the next place that they have to be. And you don't actually appreciate the time that you're spending or, you know, having time just to have a cuddle and everything, just having a little bit more space and time to appreciate things. So that was kind of the the hope really there. Calm space, time, appreciation. These are all awesome things. So that's what you think will happen from coming home earlier to spend time with them. Okay. So that's the proper order priority of going from the top to the bottom, going from your values to your actions to your outcomes. And we're just guessing those are the outcomes. We don't really know if that will happen for you. So we're not going to put this like mandate that they have to. We're just assuming and kind of a estimating kind of a scientific way. We think that will happen because of other experiences we've had, but it's not your fault if it doesn't happen. We'll just change the actions if it doesn't work out in that way to see if there's another action you could take that would lead to that instead. One option, for example, could be like, let's say leaving work earlier makes you more stressed out at work. And so then it becomes stressful to be home and it's very hard to be present. Well, then we're like, okay, something else needs to shift maybe potentially because that in and of itself is not getting you that desired or expected result. So that's just the nice thing. It takes the pressure off of any actions you take to have to quote unquote be those outcomes. It's just like, this is what I think will be the outcome. Let's see what happens. Yeah, exactly. And I guess because when I wrote this, I had kind of two things in mind that I should do either try and leave earlier kind of every day or whether I should try and ask to have a morning off work or or something, you know, reorder my hours and things. But I kind of thought, no, it's better to try the little bit every day approach, which could will hopefully make a bigger difference overall than trying to, you know, cut some time off work and cram all of the fun times. Yeah, that's a great point. So you could always have that as your backup option. But for right now, you're trying this option and seeing if it gives you that result. Perfect. Okay. So now this is a really fun one because it's about time. So it's very straightforward. So what do we have to remove and what do we have to include? It can be super obvious, guys. This doesn't have to be like brain surgery, (laughs) figuring out what you're removing and including. So what time do you normally come home? Well, it's very variable. I think that's part of the problem. So normally try and leave work between 6 and 6.30. So I get home at 7. So my idea was to try and leave work at 5 o'clock, which is kind of technically an hour earlier. So to remove kind of an hour away from my in-office time and replace it with an hour of work at home after Declan's gone to sleep. I was just going to say, what's going to happen to that hour of work you're normally doing, right? Because that's that thing is like, what's going to happen to that hour? It sounds like you want to shift it to still do the same amount of work. You're just going to do that extra hour after he goes to bed. Yeah, exactly. And then hopefully hopefully he'll be going to bed a little bit earlier because it won't be wait for mom to get home and then everything gets pushed back a little bit. So if we can be a bit more consistent in me getting home earlier, then it means that he'll be asleep by eight o'clock. Um, 8.30. And then, you know, I'll be able to work from nine until 10 o'clock at night. Okay. And you feel good about that choice? Yeah. 
So if I leave work earlier, then I can actually have that dedicated time and actually get some work done then. And I think it would be a better way of managing my time during the day as well to space out the things that I have to do at work at work um, and then to bring the things home that are portable home to do. Is there any more detail that you need to think about beyond just that simple switch? Also things like I, well, I need to talk to my work about it um, and I have spoken to my work about it because I wrote this intention a week or so ago. So I don't just work alone because obviously other people are involved and which makes things more complicated. Also just had to check my diary as well and have a conversation with people just to say, look, I'd rather not have meetings at 5.15 anymore, please. And But also just to let people know as well that I'm available on the phone if they need me um, because of the nature of my work. And also trying to be a bit more focused at work as well so that I don't procrastinate so much, I guess. So one of the things I've done in the last week at four o'clock is I write a list of three things that I do need to do before I leave. And I can kind of tick those three things off and leave work without feeling guilty. And then I can kind of go and just kind of close the book a little bit on my day of work. One of the things I'm imagining, and this might be maybe a resistance, but something I just would think about, and I don't know your situation, but just something I'd like to like kind of put a little bit of awareness on just for you and just thinking about what this change could mean is also making sure that you don't decide to go long, like longer than an hour after your son goes to bed and staying up really late at night and then doing even more work at home than you would have gotten done at work because of the pressure to come home and your desire to come home to see your son at seven. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's exactly what I would do. Um, because I'd be like, oh, now I can spend from, you know, my son's is asleep at eight. So I can spend from eight until midnight doing work. Yes. And then it's like, well, you're working eight more hours a week or whatever than you were before. Yeah, no, definitely. It's one of these frustrating things about me and about work, that thing about volume and quantity. Like if you do loads of work, then you're kind of being better at your job. And then it's not often the case. So it's something that I do have to check in myself to think, well, you know, you can pace your work out over the week because I'll never have a clean desk at the end of the day. Yes, that is something I've been thinking about a lot lately is doing the things that really need to get done, but doing them in as much flow as possible. And if things don't flow, then I don't worry about it as much as possible. Yeah, it's hard, though, when you've got kind of 300 emails in your inbox, and you're just thinking, oh, it'd be nice if that number was zero, but <laughs> it's fine. You know, I know I've gotten better at just being like, you know, the ones that needed to get answered today got answered. Everyone's got their own circumstances I have to work through. So this is perfectly leading up to step three is identify and overcome the resistance. So what are the resistances that you foresee about coming home an hour earlier? So I guess the biggest one, which is kind of, you know, probably bad to say out loud, but it's just what other people might think, I guess, that worry that people at work will see you leaving at five and they'll think that you're slacking off. And it's silly because I like to think the people I work with think that I do a good job and work hard. But it is that kind of, you know, intrinsic thing where you want people you work with to kind of think, oh, you know, they work hard, they do a good job, they're committed or whatever. So uh, just kind of managing my own worries about that, I guess, is something that I need to think about. And actually, I could totally imagine your ego, as you've just shared from what you've talked about so far, deciding to work till midnight to overcompensate for proving that you still do a good job because you're bringing your work home, right? To show, no, you guys, I'm really doing it. Yeah, exactly. And I've been guilty of doing exactly that where I've had to leave, you know, to do an appointment with my son or something or work a half day. And then the next day I come in with my pile of paperwork all finished and put it on the entry for my boss. And I'm like, look, I have been working. <laughs> <laughs> if you really think about your boss, do you think that they have he or she has that opinion of you that is worried about this? No, no, because I've had the conversation and they, you know, but I guess it's hard to know for sure, you know, and I think that's always that problem. People might. Because as well in politics, everyone wants to look like a, a nice person and a good person. So they say things, you know, there's a lot of kind of people saying nice things to your face and they're not saying nice things behind your back in politics, which isn't particularly nice. So, yeah, you always worry that people are like, mm, you know, but I guess the fact that I had the conversation, I didn't just kind of all of a sudden one day stop, you know, start leaving earlier or start coming in later. I actually sat down and said, look, I'd like to do this. Is this okay? And he said, that's fine. Of course, it's fine. That's important to you. That's that's fine. So it should be okay. It's just that self-doubt, I guess. Yeah. You know, what's really interesting is I'm thinking about this and I'm thinking, you know, I don't have a lot of people like you have 
in my circumstances that, like you said, could be talking behind my back or having all of these like, you know, experiences that are very, you know, it's kind of a different world. Let's just say that. But what a beautiful place for you as a person. If we think about you as a person and you signing up to be in this experience in life right now at this point in time in the universe and all of those things, what a beautiful place for you to have signed up to learn how to look for internal alignment. Yeah. So for you to find it in that environment, what a beautiful opportunity to truly learn it at a level that may be more intense than maybe you could have found a different career that wouldn't have had that same level of second guessing or that kind of thing. What a fascinating place to learn that lesson. Yeah. It's been really interesting doing this course, actually, and kind of comparing and contrasting a little bit to the the day-to-day that I live in, you know, because there is that kind of ingrained cynicism that comes with the kind of job that I have. You know, it's a wonderful job and it's kind of, and it is motivated by making the world a better place, which is lovely. But um, yeah, there's always that kind of thing where politics is about trying to read people and to try to, you know, get a sense of, you know, what they might want in order to, you know, kind of come to mutual agreements and all of that kind of stuff. It's so external and there's been something lovely about the time from this course about just sitting down and trying to think about, well, what is it that makes me happy? People at my job saying to me, to my face, oh, you do a good job. That's nice. But does it actually make me feel intrinsically kind of fulfilled and joyful? It can't. Nothing can. It can't. No. Things that do make me feel kind of intrinsically joyful are, you know, when I sit down and do a jigsaw puzzle with my son and he laughs because he's finished it and and that makes me feel overwhelmingly happy. I guess that was that was why this intention was such a easy thing to come to because it was just you know just felt right in my head that the thing that was maybe not quite clicking with me was the fact that I wasn't spending as much time you know flowing with my little boy and just getting home from work and saying what do you want to do you know we'll you know sometimes I'll go on a tram adventure and we'll just sit and ride the tram for 20 minutes or whatever and he'll look out the window and point at the cars and that is just wonderful makes me feel you know, utter kind of joy and peace and happiness, you know, put your work down, jump on the train, go home and do something that you really want to do. Yeah, it sounds like that there's this temptation in politics where you're at and your environment that is the doing level of success. This is the visual I have, right? So like, let's say everyone in your office is on a treadmill (laughs) and everyone's running at their own pace. But some people you're saying are awarded for running faster on their treadmill than others. Everyone's going to stand on the treadmill for the same amount of time. It's how many miles you run that gets you credit. And what is ultimately happening is no matter how efficient you could be, if you're not filling up all the time, then you have to keep staying. Versus if you could be really more efficient, you don't feel the permission to just stop working as many hours as you have been because of your efficiency increasing. Oh, completely. You learn that you need to get more done just to kind of get through the day because all of a sudden you have to cram twice as much into the day than you did nine months before or whatever. Yeah, no, certainly there is that thing. And you kind of sit there thinking, well, I've done everything I need to do. Why am I still here? But it is that kind of really ingrained resistance that I know is kind of inside of me, just that thing about wanting other people to think that you're, you know, good at your job or whatever. It's because you're sitting there. It's not because of how much you're getting done. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's so silly. And no one's benefiting from it, really. I mean, you're getting more work done. But ultimately, I mean, I think to myself, if I go home and have a lovely time at home, the quality of work that I'll do in that hour after my little boy goes to bed will be way more than the quality of the work that I do in the kind of three hours where I'm kind of sitting at my desk thinking, I really don't want to be here. (laughs) That's alignment. You've heard me talk about that alignment before action. That's what happens when you get into that. Everything flows so much better. You just exactly said it. You having alignment with your family and your life as a whole makes you more productive and effective at work. Yeah. And what you're doing is actually holding yourself at direct odds with that because it's just your ego. It's not you, but your ego is like, no, it's a sitting contest and I need to show them how well I can sit. Yeah, no, exactly. It's so true. And I think that's that thing about with the course and the idea of separating your ego and your intuition. And you kind of think, well, for all these years, I've been telling myself that this is what I have to do. Maybe I'm listening to the wrong voice in my head. And maybe I should listen to the voice in my head that says, you know what? You've done a good job today. Go home, have some dinner with your partner and your son 
And if there's more stuff that needs to get done, you can do that later. But right now you're not, you don't need to be here right now. Yeah, it's like trying to listen to that voice instead of the loud voice that says, you know, oh, well, how many things have you ticked off your like checklist? How many, you know, how many boxes have you ticked today? Um, and it's not a competition. No one, no one can see what my to-do list looks like. But you feel like you're constantly in competition with yourself because you're writing yourself to-do lists and how many, you know, pieces of paper have I, have I read today or how many notes have I written today? Why am I kind of focusing on listening to that voice instead of the voice that says, go to the park with your little boy while it's still light? I think that what you're hearkening to without exactly saying the same words, and this is kind of the language I'm learning to help people understand perhaps, or this is what I'm thinking is the underlying root of that is because from a young age, especially as females, as I've kind of been observing and traveling around, just kind of watching, it's not always the case, but I think that men I'm kind of noticing have a little more self-approval in general. This is a generalization, but I find that they're less likely to second guess or people please or look for that external validation as much as women. Doesn't mean it's always the case or 100% the truth. Women especially, and just people in general, are trained from a young age to look for love and approval from other people. So when you're saying, you know, I don't want other people to think that I'm not working hard, what you're really saying at a core level is I want to be loved and approved of by these other people. Even if you don't actually consciously care if they love you, you're just like, I want them to respect me or whatever. Really, that kind of, if we really go deeper than that, that respect kind of goes into this love and approval. And what we're doing when we do that is you're voice, the ego, it's just the ego, is saying that their love and approval matters more than my intuition's love and approval that's saying, go home, you've done great, enjoy your family. Yeah. Oh, it's so true. It's so true. And I think I felt that more acutely since becoming a parent because of all the additional kind of just, you know, the fact that everyone in the world feels that they can comment on how you're holding your son in public, for example. That's happened to you? I used to have one of those ergos that where you kind of carry a little kid in a pouch in front of you um, when he was much smaller. Um, and the amount of people that would come up to you when you're on the tram and be like, oh, can he breathe in there? Is he okay in there? And you're like, yes. I'm like, no, I'm suffocating my child on public transport. <laughs> it's just so bizarre. And then, you know, come, coming back to work and you sit in a meeting with someone and they say, oh, I hear you've just come back from maternity leave. Are you sure you're ready? <laughs> you're like, oh, yeah, no, I think I'm fine. Thanks very much. My dad taught me from a very young age that it's really important to have a job to have worth and value in life, which I think while isn't, you know, a bad lesson is kind of that thing of you really shouldn't be reliant on something that you might not have control over to make you feel like you have worth. Never not had a job from the age of 14, never gone a week without a job except for being on maternity leave. So being on maternity leave was really a big step back for me because I was like, well, I still have a job technically. I'm still you know, technically employed. Yeah, it's kind of very challenging to, and this is why I found this course so powerful, is to be like, yeah, you know, it's good to be able to support your family and be able to support yourself and all of that kind of stuff. And I guess part of me as a woman feels that it's important that I take ownership and control of that as well. But you know what? Circumstances might change. I might not have a job, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm a bad person or not valuable and not kind of contributing to the world. Me telling myself that you should prioritize time with your child above work is actually quite a big step for me. Yeah, this is actually fascinating because this is kind of the intersection of two of the things I've studied the most. This is a accumulation of probably 12 years now of study. I've studied life with intention and then work and worth. What you're just speaking to right now about your dad, it's so interesting. So that's the other class I've spent time teaching on as well. And I spent 100 hours researching and interviewing people that had those issues to understand not just from my perspective, but others. And it's so fascinating. You mentioned this father believing you could do anything. So this became a trend. It wasn't in every interview, but it became enough of a conversation piece that I think that there is a vein of truth for some people's stories, especially female stories of self-worth and work being too intertwined so that there's so much stress about that is because that they were too taught at a young age. I was one of them as well. And several other women mentioned that their fathers believed they could do anything and wanted them to have full access as easy and as powerfully as a son of theirs to have the career of their dreams. And so then I'm interviewing these women and some of them, depending on like, I remember this one woman in particular stands out. She was in a startup. She had two young children and a husband. She was helping through her startup career to support him doing his creative projects on the side. 
And she was stressed out like crazy and not listening to her intuition because of her father's love and approval and belief ultimately in her ability to do her career. But she was stressed out and not listening to her intuition whatsoever about what was right for her because she had this ingrained belief and essentially love and approval from her father giving her that love and approval through the career. The father meant well. He wanted and believed in women having equal rights and that women should, but I think there's this outward seeking of approval and love from other people's values and their beliefs for us that abdicates our own responsibility to listen from within. Does that make sense? Oh, completely. Yeah, no, no, completely. It's, as women, you know, it's so hard to feel worth and value and then you seek it in all these different places and some people seek it, you know, in places that are more harmful to them. And if you seek it in places that are perceived as being more beneficial, like in, you know, trying to have an amazing job or achieve in a way that society respects, you're kind of applauded and then you get the kind of gratification from that. You're always trying to seek worth and seek approval, you know, firstly from your, from my dad um, and then from other people. And it's kind of a realization that maybe you just need to learn to, as corny as it sounds, love yourself first. And then other, other things will flow from that. The love and approval, but you're from yourself first. Yes. Yeah. What you've done and you see this, I just heard you say it, but I just want to point it out for anyone that maybe kind of, it kind of glossed over it. You used to get your love and approval from your father in your career. I'm guessing he no longer has as dramatic an effect on you in terms of your career, but you've shifted that. You've shifted the focus from him to the coworkers. And now it's not even any probably individual coworker. Like your boss already said he's fine with it, but you're not sure if he's fine with it. And now there's probably like this group of seven people you're thinking about having this group consciousness about their opinion of your career. I'm saying this from my own shifting from my dad to my followers or listeners. <laughs> So I've done the same thing. I'm like, I got this kind of feeling of what 27, 37, 4.5 million people think (laughs) based on my own ego projecting, really. It has nothing to do with what all those individuals think, if it's true or not. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We all think you're great, but (laughs) not everyone. And that's okay. And you're probably doing the same. Like they are probably all think you're great, you know? Yeah. No, no, it's, it's so true. It's frustrating when you can see it in yourself. But then I guess it's that thing about how this is about recognizing that and then taking proactive steps to, well, what can I do to overcome that? You know, I know that I worry about what other people think of me. So what do I need to do to kind of put that to one side and focus on what I think of myself? For me, you know, having a kid helped me, I think, to do the first kind of circuit breaker, I guess, against that, because the love that you get off your kid is a very different, I guess. And so you can kind of see someone that just cares about you for no reason other than the fact that you're there. And it's a very fierce and organic and kind of intangible love. And then you're like, well, that's the kind of love I should have for myself, not one that is contingent on me ticking boxes, because I think that that's what means other people will think I'm good and therefore then I can think I'm good. Exactly. And here's what I'm thinking too. I think you're in the most beautiful place in the world because you have this ability because of the situation. If it wasn't quite so intense in terms of you're looking out and worrying about what they're saying and that kind of thing, it could be easier to not face this. But because there's an intensity about it, it means it's going to be addressed one way or another. And you are doing it in a positive way. You're not distracting yourself or numbing yourself from it. You're looking at it with a conscious awareness. So that's beautiful. So the other cool thing is because you have your son at the same time. So before you were raised 100% probably unconsciously by your dad to seek his love and approval. And so that's what you've become. This is the product. You are the product of when you seek love and approval from someone outside of yourself, it then just transfers to your work, coworkers, et cetera, to everyone else in your life. You have a son right now that is watching you. So as you are working through this on your own, you're also able to instill his own self-improval within himself. So he's not looking to you or to his father for that approval. And as you learn to do this, you are modeling that behavior for him too. So you learning to do this in your job is not just benefiting you, it's benefiting him as well. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it really does. Something that I hope, I guess, that I can teach him. And that's one of the, you know, some of the beautiful lessons I think that have been coming out of your podcast lately is that thing about trying to teach your children to look inside themselves to find what makes them happy because 
trying to make other people happy won't get them there. So if I can, you know, model kind of positive behavior, which is about thinking about what, what makes you happy and pursuing that in a kind of way that is unselfish, but still positive, I think it'll be really great. Okay. Here's the thing. Here's my take on selfishness. I think everything is selfishness and we shouldn't see that as bad. We should just accept it for what it is. But when you are coming from a low energetic place, selfishness takes from others. When you're coming from a high energetic place, selfishness seeks to benefit others. But it's always selfish. So it's just what makes you feel good when you're at a low level is taking from others because you are in a scarcity mentality. So you think there's not enough and you need to get yours. And if you don't, then you're going to suffer or something like that, right? But when you come from a high level, there's this abundance mentality that says there's more than enough for me and for everyone else around me. So I can give that to others as well. So you being selfish about your alignment and your approval of yourself is actually going to teach him to do the same for himself. And again, we're not saying you're going to do this in a low level way. That selfishness seeks to uplift others when you're coming from a good place because it feels so good to do so. That's selfish. To say that it isn't selfish, I think is actually missing the mark. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. I hadn't yet thought about it like that. No, it's a really interesting way of thinking about it. And I guess it's part of this thing that we're talking about is you're taught that selfishness is a bad thing. But I guess ultimately all selfishness means is looking at yourself and looking after yourself. That doesn't, that's not in, in itself a bad thing to look after yourself. It's what you kind of do with that, I guess. And what you do is you rise into the levels of feeling the positive energy. You want more and more. It feels selfish because it feels so good. And even if you look at a Christian rhetoric, not that, that we need to bring religion into this at all, but if you think about people that try to be selfish from that perspective, if they're being motivated by going to heaven, <laughs> it's still a delayed gratification selfishness to help others so that you go to heaven. That's selfish. It's self-interest. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying, let's not say that it's not selfish when it is. Yeah, no, no, I agree. It's just high level selfishness. And I think that that's great. I think high level selfishness is wonderful because it feels so good and it doesn't hurt others. Low level selfishness doesn't help others. And that's what people label as selfishness. But I think they're fooling themselves when they say that the high level selfishness isn't selfish too. Yeah, no, it's so true. It's so true. That, that thing that, you know, when you do, can you think of an unselfish act? And you can't. Because you feel good if you do something nice for someone else. And that's wonderful. Why are we taking that away from ourselves? Why are we fooling ourselves into thinking that we should be lacking when we're doing that, right? Because what we're really saying is I should feel like I'm suffering to do something for someone else versus saying I'm selfishly doing this and it's benefiting someone else. I get to feel good by doing it and it helps someone else. And there's no negativity there. That's so true. Yeah. I have to try and think about how to teach that to a, a two and a half year old. Well, I think right now you have some time to figure this out for yourself at your job and then just continue to model it. Because as he sees you staying up late and putting that stack of work on the boss's desk, he may not see all of those steps, but he will see you at home as he gets older, staying up later, those sorts of things. I think there's something liberating about seeing a person live their alignment and not apologize for it, but also when they're living their alignment, come from such a positive place that the natural outcropping is positive selfishness that benefits all around them. Yeah, that's really powerful. Yeah, thank you. It's kind of that thing about trying to think about how my behavior, if I'm looking after myself, will have a positive impact on you know how my kid grows up kind of a beautiful thought, really. Yeah, because your intuition is never going to say, screw it, my kid's crying today. I'm not going to wake up and help him. Let's say your son wakes up in the middle of the night crying. Your ego may want to say, I want to sleep in, right? But if you go to your internal alignment, this is what's the big difference, right? Actually, here's the way to look at it. When your ego is in charge, selfishness is negative. When your intuition is in charge, the selfishness is positive. And you, other people's egos may have an opinion about you, right? So let's say you follow your selfish intuition positively to spend more time with your son and your finances and situation works out that you don't have a full-time job anymore. And your dad has his ego, not his intuition, but his ego is selfishly pushing his pressure. I'm not saying he would, but let's just, or the coworkers, it could be anyone, push their disapproval on you because of that. That's them being selfish, do you see that? Like, that's them saying, no, I know better for you than your intuition knows for you. And I'm going to have a judgment about this. It doesn't even make sense. Like, why are we trying to push our egos and our opinions on others in the first place? 
that's actually more selfish than you being selfishly staying at home with your child. It's not selfish. It's positively selfish. You're actually benefiting your intuition and following what it's telling you, which is to spend more time with your child. Yeah, no, it's so true. It's so true. Okay, so this is a lot of resistance we've talked about. What are the ladders? And I think you're asking me, right, Jess? Like, what are the ladders? How do I overcome this? But do you have any thoughts in any way that might benefit you right now that come to mind? I mean, I guess, you know, one of the kind of biggest ladders for me was having that conversation with my boss first. And I've done that, which is good. I guess more generally, it's just, it's trying to, you know, remind myself, I guess this conversation helps, (laughs) which is one good ladder you know, reminding myself that, that it's okay. And I think that when I've written to my intuition, when I've been feeling uncertain about things, it is very reassuring. And it does say, you're all right. You're where you're supposed to be. This is fine. And, and that helps. That does help. And the time that I'm with my little boy is, you know, blissful. So that's, that helps too. So I think that it's about trying to shut off the negativity in my head that says, you know, you should be checking your phone. You know, you should be making sure that you get more things done. All that shooting, all that shooting all over yourself. Okay, I've got an idea for you. So from our conversation, this comes to mind. So you had said something that I keep thinking about. And I'm just like, if she turns left instead of right, all of this changes. So there's this fork in your road where you have this feeling and it comes to you and it says, I've done it. This is what I needed to get done today. You know, and then you kind of look around, you're like, crap, everyone around me is still working. I kind of feel like I'm I'm sitting here, right? And then you just kind of keep barreling forward. Do you know at that moment that I'm speaking to, does that actually happen to you from what you've shared? Yeah, no, no, it actually happened yesterday at like 3.30 in the afternoon. I kind of thought, oh, that was a productive day. (laughs) Okay, so here's my thought. In that moment when your intuition says done, right? And it has that peaceful selfishness that's like, I've benefited the team and I've benefited myself and it now will be beneficial to go home, right? What if you said, just for today, I'm going to follow that voice and do what it says. Just for today is going to be the, the ladder and then go follow it and observe what happens. And then the next day, say just for today and observe what happens. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. It's scary, but it make, no, it makes sense. And I guess the thing that comes to mind is, you know, if I've done everything I need to do, why can't I do that? Because you're waiting for permission. Yeah. And I don't think that this is where I go into like, I think that there, could you imagine someone at your work not needing permission to do that? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I could do that. I think this is the thing. Like I do have the great thing about my job is that it's incredibly flexible because I can take work home and I can work off the phone. So there's no reason why I can't do that other than the kind of worrying about the idea of presenteeism and wanting people to think that you're doing a good job sitting, like you say. So um, I've never thought about it like that. Why can't I do that? And I guess, why can't I do that today? And then see how it goes. Because you're just going to take one step and you're going to observe the results and you're going to take the next step and you're going to observe the results. And one day you might go, okay, this is not the thing, but I have this feeling that your intuition is so smart, (laughs) far smarter than the ego, right? So I have a feeling that if it's telling you, now some days it might say stay, and I want you to stay when it says stay, right? Because that's the point, it's just following it. But I think that getting into trust of it is what we're trying to build right now. And I think just saying, just for today, let's see what happens, is going to build that trust. Yeah. And actually thinking about it, that's probably better than me putting an alarm on my phone at five o'clock and then feeling pressure if I don't leave on the dot at five o'clock. Some days maybe I can leave at four and some days maybe I'll have to leave at six and that's okay. Whatever happens. Because that's ego to say that it has to be this hour. What's to say it's not 4.32 when your intuition tells you or 5.32, like you said, but even 3.32. Exactly. Ego can't handle that. It'll blow up. It'll be like, no, my God, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. But who is really to say that? And if you're following your intuition, everything falls into place. I wonder if people would respect you. Now, their egos may totally feel crappy. So I can't tell you how people are going to perceive this because everyone's at a different place consciousness-wise. So their egos will have their own opinions about everything. But I actually wonder when you're following your intuition, even if some people don't like it, other people might really respect it. It's true. I guess it opens up the idea of being a bit more fluid in my day-to-day as well. Because I do have a, you know, a very flexible job where I can kind of, within limits, obviously, pick the things that I choose to do, you know, around meetings and stuff like that. And so why am I not taking advantage of that and saying that, you know, if today I'm done at 3.30, that's fine. Where does that take me? Which is kind of an exciting way of thinking about it. Yeah. What do you think would have happened? What would have happened? Let's look at yesterday. You said it at 3.30 it happened and you kept going. What did you do? 
had a conversation on the telephone with someone. I read a couple of briefs, you know, wrote some notes, but that's all stuff that I could have done today. And I probably made three cups of tea and faffed about a bit, to be honest. Yeah, you're just wasting time. I've done all of my big jobs for the day. So, Do you think your boss would really care if you got it all done, if you left at 3.30? I like to think not. I think part of me knows that they would probably be a bit like, you know, oh, I think that if they really thought about that, they wouldn't mind. I think that there's that, that kind of risk of judgment and people are like, oh, why they're leaving early. But actually, if people thought about it, well, they do their work and there is no reason why they should be annoyed at me. And so there's no reason why I should be worried about them being annoyed at me, I guess. It's like daycare, like you're in daycare. Yeah. <laughs> if you think about it. And is it necessary? I'm not saying it is or isn't, but I wonder if you could go to the boss and be like, look, you guys want me to be as efficient and effective as possible, but you also don't want me to burn out and... I've become a superwoman since becoming a mother. I'm <laughs> incredibly effective. If this, is this based on hours of sitting in the desk or the effectiveness of getting my work done? And what do you say if we move it to an effectiveness of getting my work done paradigm? What if that's what we're really focused on? And I, I give myself the permission to not feel chained to my desk for a certain amount of time, but really about working on what needs to get done and being as effective for this team as possible. What do you think they would say? Yeah, I think they'd say, as long as you answer your phone, it's fine. Okay. Are you willing to do that? Well, yeah. I mean, I have to answer my phone when it rings at 11 o'clock at night. So I'm going to certainly won't mind answering it um, at four or five o'clock in the, in the afternoon. What do you think would happen? What, if, what Maybe you give other people the permission to do the same. Yeah. Rather than feeling judged, you could feel like you could be the trendsetter. Yeah, it's so true. And I think that that's the thing as well. If we're, a, I'm very lucky we're you know, a group of people that all support each other and are all and are all lovely to each other. So why aren't we living that a bit more and supporting each other? And I'm always telling people to leave as well. I'm always, you know, going in and telling someone you should go home. Why aren't we actually doing that, I guess? But you're kind of saying do as I say, not as I do, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's why no one does it because no one actually does it. So here again, you are the most beautiful person to be in the most beautiful place right now. You're in an environment where everyone's afraid to follow their instinct, right? Mm. And here you are, able to face this yourself, heal yourself and train your child at the same time and give him that permission to follow his own instincts as he grows up too. Yeah, it's a great opportunity. Something has taken me to here and I should see where it takes me next. How does this really feel now after this whole thing? Because I feel like now we're like, oh my God, we're changing Australian government in my head. (laughs) We're like, everyone's just afraid to fake the first move. So everyone's just in this sitting contest and they're just pushing papers and faffing about, as you said, making tea. Like, okay, well, there's another way. And you just said it's more flow. And people think that in their day jobs, they don't have flow. But maybe it's just because people are too afraid to ask for people to actually be fully fledged humans that can have responsibility and and effectiveness more than daycare. Yeah. Oh, it's so true. It's so true. I think many office jobs are guilty of it. Why is sitting at your desk the greatest kind of achievement? Yeah, I feel like, I don't know, I feel I've got a, you know, warm, fuzzy feeling in my stomach. Like this feels like a really, you know, positive opportunity. Like I feel like I can go to work. If I'm done, then I'm done and that's fine. I'm so excited for you. I feel like this went from, we started with politics and how difficult this is and how different it is from where I'm at, right? What we have just done is like distilled this down to such a level that it's almost exactly the same. I have a team that's still relying on me to get work done too. So it's not like I don't have to answer to anyone either. I have a team of eight people. I don't know how large your team is, but I mean, the difference is I'm in charge of it and you're not. But that said, you have far more flow potential that's untapped. And it's truly just because of this love and approval thing from other people that aren't even against what you're seeking necessarily. And you doing this could actually empower them too. Yeah. It's so funny, isn't it, when you look at something from a different angle and you're like, oh, why haven't I been doing that all along? The angle you were looking at was the ego. And the angle we're looking at it is the intuition and alignment, right? All I've ever done is keep getting us back to internal alignment. Have you noticed that? Yeah. All I'm ever getting us back to is what does your alignment say? What does your alignment say? And that alignment focus comes from this place that we're now at, which is like the 10,000 foot view of what felt like this insurmountable pit. That makes me feel excited about going to work. Yeah, I'm excited for you to go to work. I want to hear an update on how this goes. Yeah, definitely. Based on this conversation, what do you want to do next? I think the thing to do next, well, I'll get to go to work and um, I can have a chat with my boss about this. 
I feel like it's almost that thing where I've almost had this conversation with them a lot where I've said to them, oh, you know, it's good if I can be flexible. And they've always said that's fine. And I've never followed through with it. So the conversation is really not that hard to have. You know, I'll just say, I've all, you know, I'm always going to answer my phone, but I'll be working a bit more flexibly. Here's another thing you could do. Oh my gosh, Charlie, what if you said, I'm actually going to do it this time, guys. And I want you guys to give me all the feedback positively or negatively, if this is working for you or not, I really want to hear back from you. So please let me know. I don't want to be questioning or second guessing if this is working for you. I'm going to do my part and be as effective as possible without putting this unnecessary chain around my desk to me. And I want you, and I'm asking and counting on you guys to be as in communication with me as possible about if this is working for you. And if it's not, please let me know so I can adjust this to be as positive for everyone as possible. What if you said that? Yeah. Yeah, because then if they really think it's not working, then they can tell me. And if they choose not to tell me, then that's their that's their problem. And you're not waiting for the review. There's no annual review about this. It's like, oh my gosh, Charlie, what if you, at the end of each week, say, how's it going for the first few weeks to get a handle on it? Yeah, there's no reason why I can't do that. That's great. Because <laughs> then your ego is like, you don't have to second guess. Like, does the boss really like it? I, he said yes to this before, but now I don't know how he feels after I'm doing it. You're going to keep asking him on a Friday is how it's going. And if things, you know, and if things aren't working out, then we can look at it again and we can reevaluate it. But right now, you know, there's no reason why I shouldn't try. That's great. Does it really feel great or is it still scary? It's scary, but it's not scary, scary, if you know what I mean. Like, I think there's that thing where you're kind of like, oh, this feels like a bigger shift than it might sound. But it, it feels like a big thing. But it actually feels like I should have been doing this all of a lot all along. So it's not scary. It's- I know. I feel like it's kind of like women negotiating and feeling scared to ask for the raise versus like, let's go see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. What's the worst that can happen? They say no. That is the worst that happens. And you go back to your desk and you're chained to your desk, but now it's no longer a false belief. And now you're aware of it. And your awareness will help you either stay or leave that job in time when your intuition's aligned to. Yeah. Why am I kind of, you know, feeling like, oh, maybe this job isn't right for me because it doesn't fit in with my family life. And it's like, well, have I even, you know, maybe I should give it a try. And and then we can work out if it's right once I've actually tried being more flexible and spending more time with my family and seeing how that I can make that work. And we'll do that first. And that that's a much better approach than just kind of throwing your hands up in the air and saying, oh, it's all too hard, you know. And it's just your ego. Your ego is the only part of this that's a problem. Nothing, it sounds, there's been no resistance that you've shared that's real at all. It's all ego and looking for approval and affirmation that it's actually getting but doesn't believe in. Yeah, that, that terrible thing is that when someone says you're doing a good job and you look like, oh, you don't really mean it. Maybe they do mean it. Like, don't, you know. Assume that people are truthful, right? Why don't we believe the best of other people? Why are we actually believing the worst in them, that they're lying to us? Yeah, why do we believe it when people say nasty things, but we don't believe it when they say nice things? It's so silly. I am so excited for you. I think this is, I really want to hear. Are you going to ask him today? Yeah. Okay. I want to hear how this goes. <laughs> Would you do that for me? Yeah, I'll let you know. Yeah, we'll see how this goes. Oh, man. I am so excited for you. And I feel like you're going to find, I believe, I could imagine, I guess, I believe, I have a vision of you going to work, getting this verbal approval, seeking potentially this feedback on a regular basis for a few weeks to kind of really get it set in. And so your ego stops chattering about fake lies it's making up about these people not liking you and not approving of it. And then you finding more and more ways to be effective so that you have less and less of this tied to a desk to define your output and also potentially even some people may like it some people may not some people may feel like they want the badge of honor for sitting at their desk seven hours a day 10 hours a day they might want that award they may move at a very slow pace and you might be sprinting on that treadmill getting your work done and leaving where they're trotting along ever so slowly but feeling like they've got their gold star okay that's their way of living their life but you have more joy listening to your son and playing the jigsaw puzzle than you do sitting next to that person trotting along, pretending that there's something better about them going slowly than you. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And other people might go, oh my gosh, now I feel like I could do this too. Before I didn't see anyone else doing it, so I didn't think it was possible. But now that I see you doing it, it may inspire them to try the same. Yeah, yeah. And if we're all happier, then we'll all do a better job as well. It's so silly that, you know, yeah, you kind of, you second guess what people might think. And ultimately it feels like, you know, I've been second guessing all this time when I could have, you know, well, when I, now I will see what happens. And yeah, I feel like it's going to be good. It's, it's kind of, it's like, oh, it's a bit overwhelming, but it's cool. Yeah. 
Oh my gosh, so this reminds me of, this is a nice way to wrap up. So there's a Marianne Williamson quote that says, who am I to be talented, gorgeous, fabulous, and successful, kind of something along those lines. And it says, who are you not to be? It is your light, not your darkness, that gives others permission to shine. That's a very quick summation of it. But that's what you're doing with your work, is saying, when I have internal alignment, I'm giving other people permission to do the same for their internal alignment in our lives as well. But you doing this in your work, there will be people that will stay in their egos and they'll stay at that low level in the pit saying, I need to stay stuck in the pit. Thank you very much. And they're the elephants with the fake post they feel tied to. And there'll be other people seeing you live your alignment that will be inspired to try the same themselves. And it's really up to you. Which one do you want to be? And really, it's just more enjoyable to be the one that following your intuition at all but even knowing that selfishness at a positive level inspires others is wonderful. Wouldn't you want to have that impact with others and your team potentially too? Yeah. And, you know, and I know when I follow my intuition and when I do the things that flow, you know, in my work or at home, it always feels better. It always leads to kind of happy accidents that feel wonderful. And I think that it's important for me to start living that every day instead of just giving myself permission to do it every now and then. Oh, beautifully said. That's exactly why I went to that. Let's just see what happens today, right? Not going to make this like major thing, but really what we've just realized, it's not even just one day. You really probably could do this on an ongoing basis. And hopefully through that conversation with your boss, you might be able to make that happen. And then just check in with them to make sure it's still working and flowing. So it doesn't just have to be a one day thing. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Charlie, thank you so much for sharing with us. This has been a real joy. I'm like so excited for you because I went, I really do. I see the transformation from thinking you're stuck in this really difficult industry to do this in to you are just as in, uh, almost, if not the same amount of empowerment that I have to flow. It's just that it hasn't been practiced and it hasn't been demonstrated necessarily in your environment yet, but it doesn't mean that it's not possible for you to. Yeah. No, I can't wipe the smile on my face. It's, yeah, it's exciting. Oh, good. Okay. Well, you have a wonderful day at work and thank you so much for sharing with us today. Thank you so much, Jess. Here's Charlie's update a few days after our conversation. Hi, Jess. It's Charlie checking in two days after our wonderful chat on Tuesday morning. Just wanted to give you a bit of an update as to where things are at at the moment. I did go in and talk to my boss. I didn't do it straight away when I got into work sat on the train and felt pretty overwhelmed and anxious about the whole thing. So just had to build on what we talked about and thought baby steps first, spoke to my colleagues first who were so lovely and supportive and geared me on to talk to my boss and just really were on my side, which just goes to show you the things that you think other people think are so different when you actually ask them. And my boss was also wonderful, really lovely and supportive and willing to kind of let me see how this all goes, which is wonderful. First day, things went really well. It's good to not be so chained to an order of a to-do list and to see the quality of your work when you do the thing that you're best placed to do as opposed to the thing that you think you should be doing next just because you happen to have written it on a list in a particular order. So that's really great. Got to leave work early and then got home and got to make scones with my little boy, which was exceptionally good fun, and had some lovely playtime, bedtime, and then even got to spend some time with my partner after my little boy got to bed, which was an unexpected but wonderful side effect of all of this, which is another important part of that value about trying to cherish my family. I think that an important lesson from all of this is to, for me to realise that where in the past I would kind of rail against things that are out of my control and the frustration that it brought to try and move more fluidly through life and accept the things you can't control and try and appreciate the things that flow from that, whether they're expected or unexpected. Two days in, I think that there will be many more lessons to learn in the kind of coming days and weeks, but I'm excited about where this might take me and the journey that will kind of unfold. I look forward to keeping you informed as to how things go. And there you have it. Thank you so much for listening. And Charlie, thank you so much for coming on the show today. If you want to send Charlie a message, you can do so over on Twitter at April underscore MacArthur. Yes, that's April underscore MacArthur. 
And if you want to find me on Instagram, Snapchat, and Twitter, you can find me at Jess, C as in Costa Rica Lively. And for show notes for this episode, head over to JessLively.com slash Charlotte MacArthur. Before I share where I'm headed to next, I'd like to share a bit about today's sponsor, FreshBooks.com. FreshBooks is wonderful bookkeeping software for any business owner who wants to keep their books in check in a very super beautiful, easy, and simple way. I've been using it since 2012 myself, and I have loved it. I cannot say enough wonderful things about it. In fact, I'm actually bringing on a bookkeeper onto Team Lively to help keep track of things, and I'm so excited to be using FreshBooks with her because I know how simple it is to use and how having her in there as well is actually really easy to do. You can have this accountant setting so that your accountant or bookkeeper is able to access your books without seeing all of the functionalities that you as the business owner have as well. So another great reason to use FreshBooks. If you haven't given it a try yet, please go over and check it out and see why I love it so much over at freshbooks.com backslash lively. If you use that freshbooks.com backslash lively, you get a free 30-day trial. I hope you love it as much as I do. And now for where I'm headed to next. This coming week after the Costa Rica trip, I'm headed to California and specifically Healdsburg to stay with my dear friend, my best friend Maggie, and work on a few fun projects from her house. When I'm in the States, I love to stay with friends and it's really wonderful that I happen to have a best friend who's living in Sonoma wine country right now. So that is where I'm gonna be out for a little while working on the book, which I know you guys are asking about, as well as another surprise that I'm hoping will kind of flow together and launch at the same time when those two projects are ready. So that's where I'm going to be next week. And until then, I hope something wonderful happens to you today. 